This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. Australians are getting scammed more than ever before. They're devastating, sophisticated and all too believable. A new wave of scams is sweeping the country. Losing a record amount of more than $3 billion last year. The scammers are getting smarter. The scams harder to spot. Scammers are targeting parents by using AI to clone their children's voices, then calling with fake emergencies and ransom demands. And once you've lost money, it's incredibly difficult to get it back. So who's responsible for combating this online scourge? Victims say far too much is put on them and not the banks, nor the platforms that have made it easier and easier to trick people out of a quick buck. Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tisher about how to protect Australians from scams. It's Friday, the 28th of July. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Lenore, have you ever been scammed? Well, I'm attempted to be scammed pretty much every other day. I woke up this morning to a text saying there was a failed parcel delivery and I just needed to click on this link. Right before I came into the studio to do this pod, I got another text saying an account had been suspended at a bank that I don't actually even bank with. But yes, once many years ago, I was actually scammed. It was before Christmas. I was really, really busy and sort of frenetic at work and at home. My son really wanted a GoPro for Christmas and I went online to try and buy him a GoPro and inadvertently bought it from a scam site. So the GoPro that seemed quite cheap was in fact very expensive because I ended up paying for two GoPros. <laughs> Mike, what about you? Uh, I haven't lost money to scams. I get the same kind of messages and I do occasionally buy things on or sell things on Gumtree, which is like Facebook Marketplace, also a haven for scams. Generally, I'm incredibly cautious and never change my... Do anything, never invest in anything, never, you know, I'm just... <laughs> Very low key about money, so I tend. If listeners knew you, Mike, this would not come as a surprise. <laughs> I'm probably not 
But, I mean, you know, touch wood. Scammers out there, don't go for my (laughs) T-shirt. I'm not likely to invest in cryptocurrency anytime soon. But, you know, everyone's vulnerable. And when I think about scams, I always think about the very, very early days of the internet in the late mid to late 1990s, probably about 1996 or seven, when the first place I worked where they had email and I would just like carefully reply to each one and say, look, I'm sorry, I think there's been some mistake. <laughs> You've, can you please, They're really not going to target you, email. Can you please I? remove us from your email? You asked the scammer to stop emailing you very politely. Well, this is a classic mindset. Yeah, in those days, you know, it was my first time with email. And so I guess when thinking about that, it just makes me think however much you think you may know about digital stuff and what is going on in the world, there are always people who are way ahead of you mm-hmm. who are trying to extract money or other things from you and it's just a cause for hypervigilance. So, yeah, that's my embarrassing mm. <laughs> almost scary story. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's obviously a worldwide problem and Australians Wait are... Wait a second. Oh. You didn't say whether you'd been scammed. Oh, <laughs> I actually haven't been scammed, but I did Oh, because I'm the only one. <laughs> I did accuse a very reputable business of trying to scam me this week. <laughs> Because they sent me an email with their bank account saying pay the deposit, which was $250. So I looked up their number to call and make sure it was the right bank account. And they don't have a phone number. So then I was like, oh, yes, I've saved myself from being scammed. Anyway, it turned out that they were a legitimate business and they were like, we're giving your booking away. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good thing, right? We're just becoming so paranoid about scams. But um, how big of an issue is it in Australia right now? I think it's a really big issue. I think that um, figure is clearly an underestimate because people are really embarrassed when they've been scammed. They feel humiliated and stupid. And so most people probably don't report it, certainly not for smaller things where they just think, okay, that's the penalty for being, you know, naive. The government and institutions are starting to take it more seriously. The government recently launched a national anti-scam centre, which is sort of an offshoot of the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Authority. And that's basically trying to collect data, warn people when a big scam is prevalent and sort of running rife in the community, work with the government and industry to try and stop scams, provide advice to people who've been scammed. And, you know, all of that is really helpful as far as it goes. But I think there's a live debate happening now about whether it goes far enough. Mm -hmm. And, Mike, uh, we'll get back into that, but who are the kinds of people who are getting scammed now and has the profile changed over time? Yeah, so I guess the first part is we only have a very partial picture because, uh, as Lenore said, most people don't report scams. The ACCC's recent targeting scams report said uh, only 13% of victims report to them and only 30% of victims to anyone. But it does seem to be changing somewhat in that although older people are still more likely to be caught by a scam, the number of young people is increasing. And I suspect that may have something to do with cryptocurrency because the um, average person who lost money to a particular kind of scam to do with employment uh, was much more likely to be young and they typically would pay the scammer via cryptocurrency. So again, we're it's kind of in the dark on absolutes. It might but... also be just that young people are much more likely to do most of their transactions and purchases online and online scammers are getting much more sophisticated at being able to dupe people. It could also be yeah. that. 
Sure, totally. Uh, that's the thing. We part, part of the problem is we just we just don't have a full picture of the data, or despite the best efforts of uh, the ACCC to collect it. And what are the warnings coming out of authorities at the moment? So that national anti-scam centre at the ACCC warned this week that they're receiving many reports at the moment, like more than 200 reports in the past few months about a scam targeting loyalty programs, particularly Qantas Frequent Flyer or Telstra or Coles loyalty programs, where people get a text message that says that their loyalty points are about to expire and then it links them through to a fake website which prompts them to log in and then they're either scammed out of their points or their or their bank details or whatever. And the theory being that when people are in a cost of living crisis, you know, they want to make sure they keep their points or they keep anything that might, you know, help them get a discount in the future. ASIC is busy taking down phishing websites. The government's looking at setting up an SMS registry to block the sorts of fraudulent texts that I've been getting all day, Mm. I guess, but particularly the ones purporting to come from government agencies and companies. So, you know, there is a bunch of stuff going on. I mean, I think it's it is clear to governments and government agencies that this is a really big problem that is really causing issues for Australians, particularly when a lot of people are struggling so much at the moment. So people do feel, as Lenore said right at the very beginning, Mike, it, it feels embarrassing when you're scammed. But really, is it helpful if people understand that this is happening to lots and lots of people? Uh, Yes, it is helpful because, firstly, it makes them more aware of the kind of things that you can do to protect yourself, but also it sort of restricts that embarrassment level if you realise that it's happening to plenty of other people, some of whom have tried to take the proper precautions but have nevertheless been scammed. It can happen to very smart people who are very financially literate as much as to people who aren't. And I think that was shown by our, the story we ran this week on the uh, announcement from the ACCC about the scam involving loyalty points, uh, including some of Australia's largest businesses, Qantas, Telstra and Coles, etc., which was one of the most popular stories on our site for days. And it shows that there's an intense interest in it and it sort of goes to that that point about scams being underreported because clearly there are people who are worried about being scammed or have already been scammed and sort of are keen to know how many other people have been scammed as well. And how hard is it for people to get their money back? It depends, but generally very hard. In the UK, they have just instituted a system where the banks are obliged to compensate people who are scammed unless they're gone into it with like being negligent. egregious yeah. negligence. But Australian banks are perhaps not surprisingly resisting that. The chief executive of ANZ, Shane Elliott, um, said in response to this week's report that if the, we did do something like that, it might make people less careful about falling for scams, which, I mean... Seems they are already mm. fairly, uh, you know, finding it difficult not to fall for them. But he says making the banks pay for it does not solve the problem. It just moves the problem somewhere else. Yeah, I to mean, the people that are making super profits it, and the, not the exactly. people who have no money in the it bank. It moves it somewhere else to the people who might be able to afford to, uh, <laughs> to compensate for it. And, to be fair and to also, the, And also who might be able to do something about it by you know, implementing tighter systems to prevent them happening in the first place. To be fair to the banks, they have announced this new fraud reporting exchange, which is basically a digital platform for banks to communicate really fast with one another from the bank where the money might be being fraudulently taken from and the bank where the person, the victim is, so that they can sort of shut down transactions fast and hopefully stop people losing as much money. But as Mike says, I think the extent to which 
regulation imposes obligations on the bank is actually a live policy issue here right now. The relevant minister, Stephen Jones, has said he's going to develop a cross-industry code within six months. And he says it's about providing a very clear set of expectations within the industry about their obligations and what consumers can expect from their banks, their telecommunications companies, social media platforms, setting out a clear set of expectations, what they're required to do and how they look after customers, which sounds great, but it isn't clear, it isn't at all clear that it will go as far as the rules in the UK. And as Mike says, the banks are pushing back pretty hard against that. I mean, the Consumer Action Law Centre has figures that would appear to call those statements into question. It says that last year bank customers in the UK experienced a 17% drop in scam losses in Australia. They experienced a 62% increase. So, I think this is a live lobbying question and the banks will be lobbying hard to sort of minimise the requirements or regulations that are put on them. And meanwhile, Choice has got this online petition open asking consumers to really push and lobby the government for tougher laws because it's, you know, the opportunity now when this is open for discussion over the next six months is a time when we can get strong rules and where we can mean that the banks can be required to reimburse victims when they fail to prevent fraud. So, This is a live debate where the government is making up its mind right now. What roles do the major technology platforms, you mentioned Facebook Marketplace, what what role do they play in scams? Uh, Facilitating them. (laughs) 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 Maybe that's a little bit unfair. Um, (laughs) Not really. (laughs) I mean, the the reason we're much more prone to scams now is that the easier it gets to do everything using technology the easier it is to get scammed. So people couldn't probably remember how hard it was to transfer money, even between accounts in Australia, normal bank accounts in Australia a few years ago, let alone overseas or anything more complicated than that, or, you know, let alone before there was, even was, you know, online banking of any kind when it was all on paper. It was it was just ridiculously complex and time-consuming and you had to wait, you know, days for your checks to clear and all that kind of stuff. The digital banking and money transfers has become just ridiculously easy, which is great for most people, for most things. Also great for scammers. But also mm. great for scammers, yeah. And Facebook, I guess, well, not just Facebook, but I think that's the principal one, kind of falls into the same category. You know, it's facilitated a lot of things that are really helpful for people, like exchanging goods for on a sort of fairly low level, mostly small amounts of money, Changing hands to exchange secondhand goods is a good thing, like with people reusing stuff and being able to get rid of stuff they don't need and getting small amounts of money for it. That's that's great. But it also, as in the same way that online banking does, it opens the way for scams to be perpetrated. In answer to your question, sorry, it's a free-for-all, basically. They're, they're doing very little about it and, and that's the only way that it seems likely that that is going to change other than by government's trying to impose some kind of regulation is if the scams, the pain of of people getting scammed overwhelms the usefulness of Mm. being able to use it for all the things that it's meant to be used for. And on top of that, it's getting the the cost of entry for scammers like the people who did the fake shop where I bought the GoPro is, is lessening. Like you can use AI and to sort of generate scores and scores and scores of those kinds of shop fronts you can you know you can very easily do then you optimize them and they come out at the top of google search and there's instructions on 
choice and on the ACCC about how to spot or the things that you should look for to to see whether an online store is legitimate or not. But there, you know, you really have to you really have to check, and they can uh, replicate. Uh, stores that you know, like brand name stores that you know, very, very convincingly. Mm. And all of that then appears on Google searches when you go in to look at, you know, where do I buy my pair of shoes or whatever. And I guess eventually either that gets addressed by consumer law and regulation or I guess eventually the platforms are going to have to address it because people, you know, their whole business model is built on people being able to effectively use them to find goods and services. And if enough people get scammed often enough, you know, that business model is going to start to come under pressure as well. Mm. And the same goes for financial firms. There are some figures out on Friday saying that complaints to the Australian Financial Complaints Authority are at an all-time high, a 34% rise on the previous financial year, and that one of the main reasons for that, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons is because of scams. So they are, you know, corporate Australia is in the same kind of position. They need to protect their reputation by doing something about it. But it's that trade-off between frictionless transfers and and the the awfulness of getting scammed. So where does this go next? Uh, Well, actually, reading uh, ahead of this podcast makes me think I should really commission some more stories about this because it's obviously a live issue before government right now. Decisions about this code of conduct are being made right now. So I think it's something we've got to watch really carefully because it's quite consequential to lots of people. Next, little green men from outer space and the reality on Earth. There's a lot of noise around the Indigenous voice to Parliament. The voice. The voice. The voice. An Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. The voice. The voice. The voice. With Australians going to the polls before the end of the year, the Prime Minister says it's up to you to decide. The success of this referendum will depend on millions of conversations, reassuring Australians of all backgrounds and all faiths and beliefs. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and I'm here to tell you about The Voice AMA, a special podcast series we're making here at Guardian Australia, where you ask the questions about The Voice and we give you the answers. Each fortnight, I'll be joined by a panel of elders, journalists, constitutional experts, activists, academics, and more to answer your questions and cut through the noise. Look out for The Voice AMA in your full story podcast feed. 
Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Lenore, what is it for you this week? Sheesh. For me, it is that the US Congress actually held a public hearing listening to claims that the US government is covering up its knowledge of UFOs. There was this whistleblower former intelligence official who is claiming the US has possession of intact and partially intact alien vehicles and that non-human beings had been found. This is what he said. I was informed in the course of my official duties of a multi-decade UAP, that's unexplained anomalous phenomenon for the uninitiated, crash retrieval and reverse engineering program to which I was denied access. (laughs) There's a red flag for me right there. However, it went on. You have to say his testimony hasn't been entirely consistent in an interview with one news site in June, he claimed the government had a very large, like a football field kind of sized alien craft. And in another interview with a French newspaper, he said the US had possession of a bell-like craft, which Benito Mussolini's government had recovered in northern Italy in 1933. He started to lose me (laughs) about there. Anyway, this is taking up time in the US Congress. I'm sort of speechless. You know, when the little green men come down and, you know, walk down the street, I maybe I'll be proven wrong, but this is a real thing that's happening in the, in America. It's a pretty amazing story. Mike, can you top it? Uh, well, unfortunately, I don't want to bring the mood down, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to. My, no. my stories this week are about the crisis, which we definitely know is a crisis, <laughs> not the one that... Could Not be, the green man. Could be <laughs> out there somewhere, um, which is the climate crisis, obviously uh, brought on by the extremes, particularly uh, the extreme heat um, being experienced in Europe at the moment. And a few different pieces, I think, are really worth reading on that that we've published this week. Uh, one from our correspondent in Greece, Helena Smith, who started off her piece talking about how shocked she was by the reaction of some friends in the UK to the temperatures being reported in Greece and how they were still keen to book flights to come, were sort of making light of it and not appreciating the scale of what was going on there. And I don't know, that just kind of brought brought to mind the barriers, that's the psychological barriers that still have to be overcome before we deal with the climate crisis among all of us. Like everyone wants to carry on as if it's not happening. And then the other one was we published on Thursday by Rebecca Solnit, a US commentator, kind of on the other end of the scale, saying we have to resist being doomsterish, if that's a word, about the crisis and look to where there are causes for optimism and realistic solutions and proceed with them without falling into pits of despair in a kind of policy sense. Like, obviously, we can feel despair, but uh, we can't we can't let ourselves be crushed by it. And our own environment editor, Adam Morton, has written a piece also this week, kind of looking at all those, taking all those things into the round, addressing why it's so difficult to get inside people's heads about government action on climate and trying to steer that path between... Yes, not making light of it, but also not falling prey to despair. But I think we can all agree the US Congress would be better spending their time dealing with the climate crisis than the little green men. A hundred (laughs) percent. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lenore. Thanks, Gabs. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo. Joe Koning composed our theme tune and the executive producer is me. 
Gabrielle Jackson. Don't forget to subscribe to The Full Story wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other people find us. Full Story will be back with you on Monday. We'll see you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.